Welcome to Elevated Insights, the podcast that takes you on a journey of personal growth. Join us each week as we explore how to overcome challenges, embrace opportunities, and transform your life. I'm your host, Val Hunting, and each week I speak with Angie Tumlinson, the thought leader and CEO of Elevate You Institute. Angie Tumlinson is a master of the transformative process and brings a fresh perspective to the outdated coaching paradigm. We hope you enjoy this podcast and look forward to exploring many opportunities and ideas with you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Elevated Insights. Um, Good afternoon, Angie. Good afternoon. (laughs) Today, uh, one thing that we realized is that um, a lot of our topics occur uh, simultaneously with things that are going on in our lives. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a perfect time to talk about it. So today's topic is death. Uh, but not in the way that you would think. But I will preface it by saying that you have had a a death in the family recently, um, Mm -hmm. and there's been probably, I would say, a different experience around it this time or different different sorts of lessons. Um, So I will will kick over to you and uh, let you (laughs) expand on this idea. Yeah, death is not a subject that we you know, feel comfortable talking about. Uh, We tend to avoid it. We tend to, we have beliefs about it. We fear it. We, uh, it's not an easy topic. And it's really followed with a lot of things like about grief and about loss and about freedom and about what will I do next. And it's really a complex thing when it comes to death. It's very complex. What will it look like now? So, um, I do want to start out by saying in 2007, I lost my dad to an accident. It was an accident about a train. It was just, uh, he was 61. That was my first introduction to death. And I probably, I put myself in bed for four months. Um, That was, I couldn't even face life. I didn't know what grieving was. I actually, after my dad died, I went back to work and I worked from, so he passed away, I think, not, I think, I know, September the 25th is when he passed away, or September the 24th, pardon me, September the 24th. And I went to work and then it was not until January I lost it. And I ended up going to bed for about three months. And I didn't have a way of dealing with it. And then uh, that was in 2007, 2012, my mother, my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law all got cancer. And so 2013, I lost my mother who was um, 66, still very, very young. And uh, that was, she got better and then got worse and got better and got worse. So it was like a year and a half of that going on. And then she uh, passed um, we were with her when she passed. So I, w- I got to be with her a month before she passed. So I went through the whole experience with her. And mm-hmm. then um, two years later, my brother-in-law, who was 44, had heartburn, went into a doctor and got some medication for heartburn, went to the pharmacy to fill it up and walked out of the pharmacy with his prescription and dropped dead of a massive heart attack. That's crazy. And, yeah, and he was yeah. 44. So that was another really 
like traumatizing thing because they were our, he was my age, you know, he was 44. He was really young. And then to see my sister-in-law with two young boys, that was, you know, a whole other ball of wax that happened there. And then his mother was going through my husband's mother, Alice was going through, um, cancer treatment that same year in January, she was doing better. And when Bart, Matt's brother passed away, um, for me, I could see the downcline of what happened with her, her thought changed and everything. And she ended up passing away in August. And then my father-in-law moved in with us at that time. Mm-hmm. So that was eight years ago. So my father-in-law has, we've taken care of him. We've been caretakers of him. And um, anyhow, he just passed away uh, last week. And it was a totally different experience. And the reason that I said that is because he passed away in the middle of the night. And it was about 1.30. And by 3.30, his body was removed. And this experience that we've been doing for eight years was over like that. Mm-hmm. And Matt and I were sitting in the house by four o'clock and we were like, what just happened? Like yeah. it, it's been this, he's had a decline for a while and just an amazing, amazing man, but has had a decline and had a bit of dementia and, you know, some health issues that were happening. And, and then just within a moment it's over. And, each one of these deaths has taught me something about life yeah. and about grieving and about lots of things. But I want to talk about, about what happened with Sam and how that affected me to the point of I started putting things in place for myself. Not because I'm anticipating death, but because my ability to communicate and mm-hmm. to be able to know that the universe is friendly towards whatever you're thinking about or whatever you are. And so uh, I asked my husband permission to speak about this. And so I, I want to make sure that uh, people understand I'm very sensitive about this idea. But um, one thing about uh, my father-in-law, he was really a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous man, did amazing things. But the loss of his wife Alice, they had a beautiful relationship and the loss of her, he was really lost for about eight years. Who am I? What do I, he, he was going to turn 83 in this next month, but, um, so he was 82, but anyhow, when he moved in with us, uh, and then we moved into another house and moved him in, um, he, his health had been declining. So he's been with us for a year in this house. And um, one thing we noticed, he had a hard time going up and down the stairs. We have a beautiful suite downstairs, like gorgeous suite, beautiful view, you know, beautiful bathroom and place. Anyway, um, ensuite. Anyway, he, he had a hard time getting up the stairs to the main living area. So we put in a, a, a stair lift or a chair lift. Mm-hmm. so that we could do it and he would not use it and <laughs> just it would make me so upset uh because we spent eighty five hundred dollars on this thing so he could come upstairs he would rather crawl on his hands and knees oh had really bad knees but he would just refuse because in his mind he's still really young 
And yeah. so he, he just was like, I'm not using that chairlift. That's like, that's for old people. I'm not doing it. And so he refused to do it till the point that he just couldn't go up the stairs. And we got him a scooter for the outside as well. And all he had to do was a couple of steps and he could get on the scooter and ride and, you know, have the freedom to go on walks and do all kinds of stuff with us. And he just wouldn't do it. Wow, he wouldn't do yeah. it. And um, anyhow, as his dementia got worse, um, he had a, an Apple phone. We had gotten him an Apple phone and it got a little compli complicated. And so we got him a, just a phone that had two buttons on it, one for my husband and one for his sister, and then a, a, a red button to stop and a green button to go. <laughs> nice. to, to, I need to, one of those phones. Yeah, really, really <laughs> simple. And anyhow, the day before he passed, he, he, his mobility was kind of getting worse, but he had had a, a walker with wheels on it, you know, for about a year. And at first he wouldn't touch it. He was like, I'm not using that. But then he started understanding he could put his desserts from the fridge. We have a <laughs> kitchen downstairs, a little bar kitchen. And he could figure out he could put his desserts on that and walk back to his bedroom. And he had this really great lounge chair and TV and everything in his room in his suite. And so um, anyway, he started using the walker and he really got around. Like it was really, really good. And he started using the, the chairlift and everything or the stairlift. Anyway, the... The point is, is the day before he, he fell twice and he hadn't, he'd fallen maybe twice before really spread out times. They were just accidents, but this time he fell and he, he, he hurt himself. And so we got him up, fixed him all up. And I, we're not sure how long he was on the floor. Could have been mm -hmm. a couple of hours. And, mm -hmm. um, he, Matt found him asleep on the floor. So he couldn't get up because of his knees. And then the second time he fell, Matt, Matt was out of the room for a few moments and we got him back on his feet. So Matt put him in the bed and said, you know, don't get out of the bed anymore unless you ask for help. We'll get you out and we'll get you on your walker, but just call me to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And so he ended up putting the walker on the other side of the room to make sure he wouldn't do this. And he and I went into town to get a camera. So Matt would get an alert on his phone if he did fall. Mm -hmm. And anyhow, he called us when we were picking up the camera and he said, I need to go to the restroom. We had somebody there. And so we went and got his walker for him and helped him into the restroom. And he, he did his business and then they helped him back into bed. And um, anyhow, that night, we got him dinner, got everything ready and got him into bed. And Matt said, now, dad, here's your phone. Now I'm going to put the walker over here. If you need it, we'll come and get the walker for you, but don't get out of bed without us. Mm -hmm. And anyhow, the camera, we had this camera set up. So it alert Matt. Well, anyhow, 1130 at night, he got up, but the camera didn't alert us. Right. And he walked across the room to his walker, brought it back over to his bed, put his jacket on, got up, went into the bathroom, and the camera's taking pictures of every time there's movement. And anyhow, he ended up coming back to get back into bed, and he tripped over his feet, and he fell. Mm. And his body and hands were over the bed, but he was on his knees, and on the camera, it shows for about 40 minutes him struggling. Ugh. And he couldn't get out. 
And right next to him, just a reach away, was his phone. Oh. And the camera was right behind him. And he didn't call out. He didn't do anything. And it captured it on the camera of him struggling with this. And then the last part that the camera took the picture of movement was 1130. And interesting enough, my husband woke up at that time and saw, he thought he had just put his legs over it. It's not a real clear picture. Thought he put his legs over so he was going to go down and help him get back into bed. So he went to the bathroom himself and then went down there. And anyhow, he was, he had gone. Wow. And his sister also woke up at the exact same time. Oh, wow. One thirty at night. And the thing is, is that we're all connected energetically. Like we really are connected. And the interesting thing is for me is that in moments like this, if you're not somebody who's in receivership, like everything was a struggle to help him mm-hmm. do better. Like everything was a struggle for him to receive yeah. the support and the help. And yeah. that's the best gift that I've gotten through this whole experience is that to be, when you stop being in receivership and you stop getting support from the universe or from others, and you don't know how to communicate what your needs are, it's very difficult. I found one of the things, like we are, I, I love Sam. He's been, like I've known him longer than, you know, a long time because I've been married to Matt for 33 years and then, you know, we knew each other four years before that. So 30, 37 years, I'm pretty sure I know the guy. Yeah. <laughs> love him dearly. And um, the interesting thing is, is that he was so independent mm-hmm. and, you know, when Alice died, he didn't have a way of communicating to us how he felt. So we were always asking, trying to help, trying to support, but he was really closed off. Mm-hmm. And so as we go through the aging process, we're, we are trying to support him and help him. And he can't communicate what he really wants yeah. because he can't be vulnerable like that. He yes. can't be in this feminine energy and i'm not being female i'm just if you think about masculine like sperm it's moving forward the egg is receivership of oh i'm going to receive those things and he just wasn't in receivership of help he would he would minimize it oh i'm fine i don't need any help and things just kept deteriorating deteriorating we would take him to the doctor and the doctor would say you know this is just the end of life and they said he's so fortunate to be at home like you guys are so fortunate to keep him at home, but it was really frustrating to try and figure out what does he need? What does he need? You know, you'd make him a meal and he wouldn't eat. He'd only want ice cream and chips. Like <laughs> we had nutritionists help us and they would say, look, do you want him to die with a celery stick in his hand or an ice cream bar? I mean, what would you want? <laughs> you know, it was just, you can't change his mindset at this point. He doesn't want it to be changed. And he wasn't interested in his health. He wasn't interested in it. And what I really realized (laughs) in all of this, what a blessing, what a gift he gave us. And so over the weekend when my husband and I were talking, we said, you know what, I don't want to be like this in the end. I, I think we need to start communicating how we want life to be for us. 
Yeah, and so we made a decision. We're going to have somebody, and this does work in our business, by the way. This isn't just us having a fleeting moment here, but our business does keep us quite busy. And Matt's been a caretaker for eight years of his dad and sort of helping in and out of my business. But um, I told him, I don't want him to be my caretaker. Like he's been in the habit of it. And I want him to join me in my business. I've waited and waited for this moment where he could be yeah. in business with me. And so, you know, I told him, you're going to have to be in receivership of support and help so you can join me in business because yeah. I'm not going to be a caretaker of you and you're not going to be a caretaker of me. And so we decided we were going to do, we've, we named it even, we're going to have a life engineer to come in and help us. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> a few hours a day. So yeah, I start my day out at, you know, five in the morning, I, I go, I get up, go for my walk. And then I have a, a reading group that I do. And uh, then I have my own study time. And then I usually start on classes and client, client things. And um, anyhow, through that experience, we said, wouldn't it be great if we had somebody who came in and made our bed for us? Because really, your bed cannot get made because you're just, you, you jump up starting to go to work, which I love doing, working on my health and working on my mind and working on my, um, creating more income. But he, he, and I said, what would it be like if you and I were both sitting at our desks and we had somebody bring us coffee? Or somebody mm -hmm. do our laundry for us or somebody prep our food for us so that we can have a salad and eat healthy the way we want to eat. And, you know, we can clean up our own dishes and stuff. But what would happen if we had somebody that could do that? And we actually already interviewed somebody to come in and do this and support our life and pay them for it. We, we talked to them about, you know, what, what we would like and how much it would it would be, and they agreed, yeah, we, I'd love to do that. I'd love to be like your personal assistant for you and your business. Now, I have a admin person in my business. I got sales team. I got, you know, all kinds of things in my business, but I never engineered it for me personally mm -hmm. to where, you know, am I in receivership of letting someone else know what my wishes are besides my, my kids have their own life. I'm not putting this on them. My mm -hmm. kids have their own life. And so I started thinking about, you know, sometimes I've had personal assistants where, you know, I'm running out of skincare and she would know exactly where to go to get it. And it was all in a binder and everything. And I've let that go. And I started thinking, what would happen if I could do that? And I could communicate, this is what I want for myself. This is, yeah. if, if you can do it in a small way every day, this is what I want for groceries. This is what I want for, it's not what I need. This is what I want. Mm -hmm. this is what I want for myself. And someone will say, you don't need that. You're right. I don't need it. I want it. <laughs> You're right. I don't need it, but I want it because what I want to do in this world is help people have the freedom to do what they want when they want, however they want. I, I have often talked about um, the woman who comes and cleans my house. She has a team of people who come in and clean our house once a, once a week. And when she comes, I absolutely get out of her way. I, I'm so grateful. She does such a fantastic job. Yeah. I, I'm grateful to pay her what she asks for. I, I love giving her bonuses. I thank her every time she's here. She's here right now, by the way. <laughs> I just, I love her. And, and, but I never get it backwards. This is my home. Yeah. I never get that backwards. 
she doesn't run my home. She comes in and supports me in something I don't enjoy doing anymore. Mm. And so I have that order. And in gratitude, I pay that money to her because this is what she loves doing to serve. Yeah. And I'm grateful for it. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's a great way of thinking because I think also in the end, I feel what happens to people is exactly what you said. Like, they don't want to be a burden on their kids. You know, yeah. um, a, a lot of what you described with your father-in-law was exactly my dad. You know, yeah. um, he had kidney failure. Um, I was as a, I was living in Australia at the time. As it happened, I was on my way to Canada for a business trip. And I thought, I'm going to surprise dad. I'm going to like pop in, you know. So I called my sister to kind of like, hey, I want to organize this. Don't tell him. And she's like, oh he's in the hospital, you know, he said kidney failure. And I'm like, Oh, oh my God. So this, the surprise goes out the window. I get there. Um, you know, after all the tests and everything, basically it was determined that he was going to have to have dialysis three times a week. And that was going to be his life. And that was October of 2013. And so while he was in hospital and Kalispell and having all these things done, you know, I hadn't seen him in a few years and I went into his house and it was, he'd always been a, a little bit of a hoarder. Like he yeah. just couldn't throw things out, but the state of the house absolutely shocked me to my core. Cause he also came from the military and he was pretty organized and pretty right. clean and it was like nothing I'd ever seen. And so, um, as you know, I'm adopted. I called my birth mom. Uh, my adoptive mom had already passed she came and helped me clean for like two solid days and we only managed to tackle a couple rooms and then my sister and her husband finished up and then um and when he was it was so interesting because when he was in the hospital and feeling so sick he said to me he goes oh i think maybe i should try to find something that's a little bit easier for me to manage i said i think that's a great idea and i started to look at apartments in libby for him and i found something you know and then the very next time I talked to him, he goes, oh, you know what? He goes, no, I don't want to do that because the house is paid for. He goes, I'm going to live in the house. I'm like, okay. So what I said was, can we do this, but can I pay for you to get help? So can I pay to have some people come in clean every week for you? Mm -hmm. um, you know, make sure that you're, you're eating something besides popcorn because that was his favorite thing at the end, which... <laughs> I get it. That's, that's my favorite dish. I would love to eat popcorn all day, every day. Um, and he would be so cheeky because he'd be like, do you feel like a glass of wine with your, you know, he was so yeah. cute. Anyway, um, I'm like, you know, man cannot survive on popcorn alone, you know, so no, I was basically ice cream or ice cream. <laughs> so I was basically saying, look, all you have to do is maybe eat three, four good dinners a week and I'd be happy. So I arranged all the services he had agreed left him there. You know, you had to go to his dialysis three times a week. I go back to Australia and like, I'm not getting invoiced or nothing's, you know, being paid for. So I call him up. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, he will not let us in the house. He absolutely will not let us in the house. Oh and so God. he had just, again, refused to receive. And then, um, he was dead by that December, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think there is a, even that generation, because another interesting thing was he lost his dad when he was five. And this goes to something else you said about people being aware. So 
They lived on a big farm and, uh, you know, his mother never went out to the fields, didn't, wouldn't even have a clue, you know, and she was standing at the sink and she just got this horrible chill and feeling. And she went, his dad had been thrown from a horse and broke his neck and died. And his mother, without knowing where he was or where to go, went straight to him from that feeling and found him, you know, and then she, she had four children. She proceeded to be incredibly independent. And so I think he, he learned this independence from her. And in a way she also refused service, you know, or help. And I think, um, I I don't like to say that things are generational or of that generation. I mean, it's, but it's obviously a skill that never occurred to him or his mom to, it was always receiving something from someone. He was more than happy to help, but to receive from someone was a burden. He didn't want to be a burden, you know? And I think that's a very prevalent feeling in people as they get older. They don't want to be a burden, you know? Just let me be. And so I think, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, but in reality, they put that energy, I don't want to be a burden. And guess what happens? They're a burden. It's a burden. Yeah. It's a burden. I I love this idea of bringing in a life engineer. Because imagine then, like, if at the end, there's a life engineer sort of managing all these other things. And then you're just able to be with whoever is going through death. Um, what, what, what a beautiful experience that would be for everyone, you know? It was so interesting when we first started sitting down thinking about it, we said, well, what are some daily things that we want done? And I mean, cause where do you start? So we were like, what are some daily things? And I mean, the cup of coffee was a big thing, making our bed. And then from there we said, well, what are some weekly things that we want done? You know, like right now it's summer for us. So, you know, watering our plants every day is kind of important because, you know, it's hot where they're, where they're at. But we did, you know, watering plants every day, you know, coffee, you know, meal prep, you know, some of those things. And then weekly, you know, I want my indoor plants, you know, weekly. I already have somebody who comes in and cleans, but we started doing weekly. And then I said, you know, what are some monthly things? And then we started looking at monthly holidays. I said, wouldn't it be great if they just decorated for us for Christmas? You know, we didn't have to decorate anymore. <laughs> or what happens if they said, hey, the 1st of July, because I'm in Canada, the 1st of July is happening. Who would you like? What would you like to do for 1st of July? Well, we'd like to have a barbecue. Who would you like to invite? And I can get that done for you. Well, we'd like to invite. What would you like to have to eat that day? Well, we'd like this. Okay, I can do the grocery shopping. And then you just have a like a party. And I just started thinking, I would be more than happy to have an engineer come in and support us and help us as we're doing things, you know, can you just imagine, you know what, I'll make the potato salad. Oh, by the way, somebody's already shopped for all of that. You know, <laughs> like how, how amazing is that? Well, and, I, and I think like, this is the thing, because people, they get stuck in the mindset of that. That's a luxury. Like you say, they don't <laughs> need it. I don't it's need a luxury. That. It's a waste of money, you know, but what it does, like, I think about that all the time. If I didn't have to run around the house and make beds and do laundry and all that stuff, yeah. Imagine the activities I could do that would bring in more income for me. You know, like well, think about the person we're going to hire, what that does to their life. Is it a waste exactly. of money? It's not. That person is so grateful that a skill or whatever it is that they have that they want to express themselves. 
you know, I can always go and clean someone else's house so much better than I can my own because I love helping. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 But when it comes to ourselves, we're not very good at receiving. So why will we not allow ourselves the support or help? Listen, I, I don't color my hair anymore, but I, I would never color my own hair. I would rather go to the, to the hairdressers and get it done. But now it's really pretty, you know, salt and pepper look. But anyway, um, you know, even, even me getting my hair cut, I now have figured out that I don't enjoy going to a hairdresser anymore, but I have a space now in my home where a hairdresser will come and, and she loves doing that. She just loves going to different people's houses and cutting their hair. And I love it. Same thing with my nail tech, you know, you can design your life the way you like to design it. Yeah. If I got to be really blunt about this, my nail tech is actually my daughter and I paid for her to go to school to be a nail tech. And guess what? She's got everything and she has a business and I get first choice of where I want to get my nails done. I do because I believe in her creativeness and I supported her through that. And you know what? She's more than happy. You know, she got to learn a skill. She's get to grow on a skill. You know, it's amazing when you think about, how you support people along the way, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, there was a time, I don't know, we might've talked about this or it might've just been in my coaching this last week, but there was a woman one time when Matt and I, we first got married and it was from his hometown and she, um, she came to visit and she saw Matt and I were really struggling, like really struggling. And she, before she, she left after she was visiting, like this was probably 1990, but she pulled out a hundred dollar bill and she gave it to us. And, and she said, here, this is just to help you out. And I remember at first being, we can never pay you back. We can't accept it. And she was like, no, 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 I don't want you to pay it back. I just, I want to help you along the way. And, and I said, oh, I, we can't do it. And she said, listen, this is what I ask of you. When someone else comes into your life like this, I want you to be able to give and help them receive it and ask them to pass it on. That little act right there of giving and receiving is so important because whenever I do this for other people because of that moment in my life, it feel I know what it feels like to receive. And that does my heart so much good to know what it feels like and then mm-hmm. to feel amazing that at this stage of my life, I can help somebody and I know what it means. Yes. I know what it means. And that feeling alone of receivership is what I believe, <laughs> in all honesty, I know this is really out there in rainbow hearts and unicorn farts, but I honestly believe this is what the new world order is going to be, mm-hmm. is in our ability to receive, we know what it's like so we can give. And I believe I- we won't need money we won't need government we won't need a lot of things and and everyone will get what they need and we're still at a point where we're governing ourselves by ideas that may not support us anymore now i'm all about money trust me i'm all about money i (laughs) i'm not even shy about it but i understand money is nothing but an exchange of energy and i've served people in a beautiful way that the universe has allowed me to receive it back that's right and there's going to come a time where we won't need the exchange. We'll have an understanding right away. We'll have an understanding of one another. Yes, yes I, I agree. And I, I feel like 
um, you know, the, the abundance that yeah. is there will be more equally shared in that new economy because yeah. Yeah. Um, there's nothing, there's nothing to hoard. <laughs> there's nothing for anybody to try to hoard or there's no, like wh- where does exploitation or slave labor fit into that economy? Right. It doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't fit into it. And the thing is, is because I have spent the time, this is not a justifiable statement. I'm just saying, because I've understand, I, I've, I've studied and am beginning to understand. I wouldn't say I understand. I am beginning to understand that energy is an exchange. That's, that's what energy is. Energy is always moving. It's looking for a place to move and it's attracted by the strongest uh, attraction that's out there. So you don't sustain money because you hoard it. You sustain it because you have a way of attracting it. And this is what's helped me in my business to be able to sustain and, and leads don't leave. One of the things as, as a coach, when I work with people, the first thing they'll say is, where do you get your leads and how do you, how do you find more leads? And it's like, first of all, I don't look for leads. I attract people into my life because of what I've learned about myself and people are looking for that. And so but it's also, it's also what you're putting out into the world to attract exactly. that to yeah. you. And it's, it's not, um, you know, and there is, there is a certain amount of energy and uh, personality and expertise. There is, there is expertise that you put out into the world that then people identify with and they and the reason you have expertise like other coaches have expertise but you have your own individual energy about and a way about doing it and that ultimately um is what attracts people i mean i can say the same thing (laughs) i will say the same thing about expense management i am an expense management expert and but i will tell you that anyone who I, i led a training class Last week, I've been doing this for decades. Everyone was fully engaged. A couple people said it was the best um, session they've ever had on any topic being in that company. And it's because I bring passion and knowledge and, um, you know, there's feeling behind what I do, even though it's a really boring, people would say it's a really boring subject. So if you go and they try to learn about this from someone who's, not really passionate about it, you know, chances are, um, you know, you're not going to be unique or special. And I'm I'm telling you, everyone who's ever dealt with me in this topic, it's been like, you know, crazy. They've all been amazed that something so dull and boring could be so fascinating and exciting to learn, you know, but it's what I give to that subject. And that's the same for you. you It's the same with teachers, you know, um, of course, we went to high school. But, you know, I absolutely hated math, hated it. Like I didn't like it at all, but I was really good in music. So I will tell you, you use the same skill in math as you do in music. But it wasn't until I had a wrestling coach help me (laughs) fall in love with math, which then helped me love music even more. Because, you know, he started teaching me about math because of his excitement, enthusiasm. And it was really easy to join him rather than just saying, here's the theory of math. He really loved it. And he loved applying it in the world 
to the point that here it is a wrestling, a wrestling coach helping me fall in love with math to help me love music. Well, like exactly. when, and when I went to college, um, I had a particular professor who was so engaging and so knowledgeable. And, you know, my whole thing with her was music professor. I never wanted to get less than an A in her class because yeah. for me, you know, that was the effort she put into me learning. And so the effort that I wanted to give back to her in my understanding of the learning and my scores. And I would go in before assignment was due and I would give her a draft of my assignment and she'd be like, oh, you know, you could think about tweaking this in music theory or whatever. And then I would go and I, I never did that for any other my other classes, including other music teachers. I would, you know, total last minute student syndrome, anyone else. But for her, I never did that, you know, yeah. and yeah. Same, same thing. You know, I think it's and I think you're right. Like as we move into a service, you know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's exactly going to be that way. It's interesting that like you and I never planned for this, but I I can feel the end of this coming. Uh, But if you think about this, death really is when you're not able to receive anymore. Yes. When you're not in receivership and you're not in giving anymore. This is when death happens. And, you know, a really great mentor of mine, um, Bob Proctor, I was not there at his death. I didn't know about it, but I do know, I do know some, some stories that were told by the family and, when he made the decision that, you know, his health issues had gotten to be too much and he had a, a dinner with them all and he said, you know, here's where I am in life. And people were like, no, no, no. And he was like, listen, I know where I'm at. Don't be negative towards where I want to go. I, this is a positive oh. thing for me and I just need you to support me. If you can't, I totally understand that this is where I am in my life right now. And even when he was in the hospital at the end, and he said, I want to go home. Can you find a way to help me go home? And he was helping, you know, help. He was helped home. He was even talking to the people, ask, you know, him asking them, what's your goal? You know, what do you want to do? You know, his ways about Just, you know, tell me about your name and tell me about what you're, where you're going, where you're, you know, all of these things. And in the end, you know, he was so joyful to let go because he had yes. been, a good and faithful servant, you know, where he could let go and say, I know the next part of my journey is going to be great. And he could release to receive. Well, and, and I think, you know, this is the other interesting idea because there are entire cultures, you know, if you look at the whole practice of Buddhism, the whole practice of that is actually preparing for death because it is the one thing that we all, you know, no matter what is coming. We all know that. And I just find it so interesting that in the Western culture, people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to acknowledge that they don't want to be prepared that imagine, just imagine if we could get over that terrifying thing or, you know, um, spend our life, you know, living by whether we're going to die in a lake of fire or be welcomed through the pearly gates, you know, um, that's not, that's not how to prepare for death. That's not, no. you know, it's not at all the way. And if, and if we could learn to, you know, accept it as an in- inevitability, which it is. Right. And, um, you know, I, I love that at the end there, he's like, I know where I'm at. Like, it's fine. I'm fine. You know? And it's, yeah. it's usually, you know, everybody around you is terrified because every time someone that, you mm-hmm. know, dies it's like it reminds you that you also are going to die and it's very terrifying and i think 
to remove the terror barrier, if I might say, <laughs> around dying, you know, like get comfortable with the idea, you know, and yeah. I think people are, I think the terrifying thing is probably how is it going to happen? Because, you know, you don't need to know the how all you, you need know. to know is that, you know, even for Matt and I, listen, we're, we're really young, we're young at heart, we're young at everything. Yeah. I can tell you just this shift for us. Uh, I can tell you we've we probably each have released weight, not because we're not eating or not because we're not, but just the the suppression of it and the release of it has just been the flow has started happening again. And trust me, I man, I love Sam, and I I know he gave us a great gift in the way that he left us, and um, I'm really thankful for him. And it's so funny, I've. I've had little thoughts and I think, I wonder if that's Sam helping me with that thought. And I've had, uh, right after Sam passed away, we had a deer show up in our yard. I know it's a little bit out there, but we had a deer and Matt was sitting in the hammock, you know, just resting. And for some reason he connected with it, but it made, it reminded him of his mother. And that deer has just been around here since that day. And then we went on our hike today and wouldn't you know, there was a three point buck all velvety horn, all velvety antlers, just watching us on our walk as I'm going up the hill and just watched us the whole time. I, I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to be there tomorrow, but you know, just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, stopped, we had eye contact, everything. And he was like, yeah. maybe, maybe not even a hundred yards away, maybe 60 yards away, but you know, just sitting there looking right at us where I could see the detail of his of his eyes and every, like it was crazy. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, all of this support and all this beauty around us. And sometimes we just get so entrapped and encapsulated in the sadness and the lack and everything that we never get to see the next door open. And it's doing small things like so this. So you know, true. we talk about the S curve, you know, the idea of the S curve and at the top of the S curve, if it doesn't start a new S curve, it will decrease. It will start going down. That's been proven over and over again. You cannot maintain a straight line. It's not going to happen. But we're always for expansion and full expression. So when you get to the top of the S curve, know that the top of that S curve is the bottom of another one. Exactly. And it's always, you want to get into that habit of freely seeing doors open all the time. Yes. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And, um, yeah, I, I just love everything you said, you know, and it really is about life. It is. It, it, it is. really is the gateway to the, to the next journey. And in, in life, as you are goal achieving, or as you're doing anything to recognize death and release it with joy to say, thank you. Thank you for mm. the lessons learned. That's where you really make death uh, something to be grateful for because it opens the door to the next wonderful phase mm. in life. Yes. So, you know, I know it's probably a different subject, but you know, I really did want to talk about death because I think everything is such a beautiful um, gift of seeing the unfolding. And um, I, I have, I've had ne negative experiences in death because of, you know, everything from being in bed for four months to, everything's over in a couple of hours and everything from the paramedic to the police, to the court, you know, to the, um, to the funeral home and then going and making funeral arrangements. All of them have said, wow, this is, I wish all of our 
I wish all of our um, things were this wonderful, this easy, and this understanding. And <laughs> I, I just thought, well, I, it wasn't that way in 2007, and it's 2023, so I've had a little bit of practice. But um, anyway, I want to thank you, Val, for just letting me talk about this. I know it's cringy maybe for most, but it it's really good to talk about it. You know, I I think we don't talk about it enough. And I feel yeah. like, you know, it's that thing of like, you don't talk about money, right? And then people mm. sort of start to tentatively talk about money. This is, I think this is, a, or sex, you know, this is a really big yeah. taboo subject that people are terrified to talk about, you know? Yeah. And I think it's very important. And I'm so glad that we could share your recent experiences because what a huge and what a really interesting insight about it. I'd never really thought about um, the receivership angle of it. And I, I just love, love, love that. I think it's a really um, important way to frame it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Elevated Insights. If you're interested in working with Angie Tumlinson, go to our website at angietumlinson.com. Here you can book a call, join her free webinar, or find out more information about the services that Angie provides. 